Content warnings for this episode include discussions of rape, sexual assault, racism, anti-abortion rhetoric, queer phobia, and stigma around mental health. a ridiculously queer podcast and part of the nerds at church empire i'm saying because we're just having a pre-recording conversation about this um anyway which is the ridiculously queer podcast where we take a deep dive into a horror film talk about how it connects to queerness religion and theology my name is pace warfield may and i am the really weird um reburial of Amanda Kruger that results in just opening a door and suddenly doves flying and that that that's how you rebury someone in holy ground mm-hmm. I guess mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I'm Pastor Emily and I am the explosively drowning baptism I mean shower of water that nearly kills Alice and we have with us <laughs> sorry I'm like trying to figure out what I am <laughs> hi I'm Susanna and um I have no idea. I want nothing to do with any of it <laughs> at all. Um, oh. So I'm. I guess I don't know. I, yes. I I have no idea. I think I'd be the swimmer girl. Only I would be more aware of the fact that I'm gay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> she was real queer coded to me, yeah, but yeah, um, yeah. you know, okay. Uh, what am I saying? I didn't. I didn't really know till college, anyway. So I guess sip, swimmer girl. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, we have with us returning for the third time on the main feed. More times if you're a Patreon subscriber, but third time on the main feed, Susanna Porter. Yay! Woo-hoo. Susanna Porter in this life is a church worker and former synod synodical council member with a specialty in helping good messages bridge technological hurdles in other words she's a super techie genius you've heard us mm-hmm. use that term for her before um in her former life she was a field director for congressional primary campaigns and the national organization for women also known as now in dc and later the state affiliate president in new jersey thank you so much for being here thank you so much for having me yeah thanks we're being back on your favorite podcast. <laughs> Coming for you. You des- We deserve that title of favorite podcast because you've been on this podcast three times. And how many times have you been on the other one? Mm-hmm. Twice. You're right. Mm-hmm. You're right. So anyway, <laughs> announcements. Uh, do we have any? Oh, um, yes. When this yeah. comes out. Yeah. When this comes out, you will have one more day to vote for your favorite pet for pet contest so make sure to Mm -hmm. head over to the link which is in the show notes um bit.ly slash 
capital H-N-A-C-V, lowercase O-T-E, the number four, capital P-E-T-S, uh, H-N-A-C, vote for pets. Um, okay. So you can do that right now. Uh, vote for your favorite. Uh, what else do we have going on? Ooh. We're now getting a lot closer to our Advent movie calendar that diaconia.faith is coming out with, which is mostly a labor of love from Pace and I. Yep. So if you are looking for a way to spend your Advent through Epiphany time, check in with us and we will make make sure we give you things to watch and or draw or do or listen to or all sorts of things. Ooh, 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 I have a thing. Yes, please. So I am in the middle of working on a lectionary feed. So I'm mm-hmm. all about like cool tools for church people that makes things a little bit easier, even though it makes my life super hard. Like that's apparently <laughs> my it's specialty. Definition of church, but go for it. So Augsburg's Fort- <laughs> Augsburg Fortress puts out um uh, not very well known ICS, which is the format that you import into a calendar, like Google Calendar or Apple Calendar. Mm-hmm. Um, little, little, little ICS feed, and it's bare. It's it, it it covers the bare minimum of what should be in an ICS feed, and um and I want to make it better. So I took that inspiration, and I'm making an ICS feed that's going to serve several different purposes. It's going to be a database of the lectionary that we need for a whole bunch of reasons when people are doing their scheduling when people are trying to schedule what production is going where what bulletin is going where what worship assistants are going where what volunteer stuff is going where everything circles around the lectionary so not having it the center of a calendar doesn't make any sense whatsoever so we all need a database of it and we Mm -hmm. all need it in our pockets but what we also need in our pockets is like a translation too so this Google Calendar feed that you can subscribe to will have all the readings, alternate readings, semi-continuous, and there'll be a link for each one and click it and it will take you to the actual text. And then also after that basis is formed, my next big thing is going to be to attach any of the Nerds at Church Empire episodes that have to do with that text and link it in there or writings from people in diaconia. Um, but have all of that in, in there so that it's in your pocket. You don't need to download a different app. Um, you can share it with people if you need to, but the most important thing is to have it on your calendar. It'll have, you know, the lectionary, it'll have commentary on the lectionary and it'll have the color mm-hmm. and it'll have the feast days and, all the things and then hopefully with that backbone once we have that mapped out for a b and c then we could do even more crazy wonderful things um but technologically it's just there's it just needs to happen it'll be like an electronic progressive commentary for the whole lectionary that's what i want it to be eventually at the moment i just want to give people lectionary in their pocket like I want them like, but not just like, here's a list of the, the, here's a list. I want it to be, here's a list and here's the links and here's some default mm. real quick and dirty commentary you can go to, um, in your pocket under Google calendar, just a whole, like, I, I want it to be that easily because people are always needing it and never having mm. it. 
So that's the little red book debate. <laughs> so <laughs> if people are interested in getting this from you, I'm assuming that there is some sort of subscription fee, but is there a like free beta testing that like if you sign up for the Horror Nerds at Church newsletter you get or something? I don't know. I can do that. I think we should definitely um I think it should definitely be a perk of Horror Nerds at Church Patreon supporters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I might put out like just like the base lectionary, but with none of the goods in it. Um, just the base one as like a freebie. I'm not sure yet, but I definitely want to have like. It, I think you should of, get paid for your work. I should get paid for my work, but capitalism has fried my brain. Yeah. So. I'm advocating for a subscription, but it could be subscription to Horror Nerds at Church, or Nerds at Church, or through diaconia.faith. Yeah. Because yeah. that allows us to get me and Pace some Adobe, because we need some Adobe in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is $50 a month, and that's a lot, so I'm hoping this will pay for our Adobe. That's why it's the main thing. That was it, that was it. Uh, so, listeners... A uh, super techie genius here. You hear it for yourself. All the wonderful, amazing, super techie genius things she can do. So definitely look look for more information on that coming. Um, likely when I bring back the newsletter. It went on a little break, but when it comes back, we'll have more information on that. Yeah, I'll put, I'll put some, and I'll start putting stuff on the um on the Facebook page for Diaconia. So definitely awesome. like and follow the Diaconia Facebook page so that you can get updates about it. Mm-hmm. And we, subscribe to our newsletter. Yes, definitely. Um, we are recording this on Spooky Weekend, Hall- Halloween Weekend. It will come out a little bit after Halloween. But I have to ask, besides this movie, have either of y'all been watching anything spooky or fun um, to tie in with the themes of Halloween? Oh, well, they don't. They that is that is what we call here in my house. Fun times at the island, um, which is what happens whenever, like, anybody's, like, not, like, we're not talking, we're all busy in our own lives, and somebody checks in, it's like, Susanna, what are you doing? And I'm watching murder. I'm watching (laughs) (laughs) cults. Um, The thing I'm really obsessed with these days is the Nexium cult. Yes. Season two just started on HBO, and that is, that is horror for me. Like, Hmm. It is just like, and all of these mostly upper class white people really thought, this is what kills me, really thought changing themselves was the key to making the world a better place. Like, not like it, like specifically themselves, like specifically, it's just so self-centered. Yes, we have to change ourselves to make the world a better place, but it's in order to be of service of others. This is like completely changing themselves to be in service of themselves. It's just, it's fascinating to me. It's fascinating to me also how, in a very real life Handmaid's Tale kind of way, like they really did embrace the concept of freedom from as opposed to freedom to. Like Ooh. this whole idea of like, I don't have the freedom to do things, but because I am being controlled by this person, I have the freedom from other things. I have the freedom from my anxiety, from my nervousness, from my whatever, my unhappiness, because I have community. I I know, right? As a agency. (laughs) Freedom from agency and all the stress that that puts on my poor life. Like, 
as opposed to freedom too. And that was a huge proponent of the Handmaid's Tale. So like, like in the very beginning, like there's a whole, there's a whole chapter on that. That was a major part of the brainwashing. So it, it's, I'm absolutely fascinated with the next name call. Fascinating. Also, we're watching bed knobs and broomsticks, but I got sleepy. So we're partly through bed knobs and broomsticks in our households. Maybe we will finish tonight. It's like that the is... one Disney movie I love. I've never one seen it. Absolutely favorite Disney movies. Uh, Angela Lansbury, rest in peace. And also, um, definitely look forward to a future. Whenever we get around her witches season, we'll definitely cover that. Because, I mean, a, a single older woman defying mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. gender norms and fighting fascism single handedly. I mean, pretty cool using magic to do so. So, all about that movie. I thought you were going to go, like, and be more blatant about, like, clearly queer-coded. Yes, like, that too. <laughs> like, the, the relationship <laughs> between her and Amelia's Brown is so forced and gross. <laughs> like, it just doesn't well, he's work. Clearly, he's and clearly a liturg- liturgy, if I've ever seen him. <gasps> oh, my God, you're right. Ooh. I haven't so. gotten there yet. Spoilers, okay. people. Spoilers. Let's see. Okay, I've been... I know I'm Watching a hypocrite. I spoil much. everything for Kay all the time, and I'm like, <laughs> no, don't spoil it for me. It's been out since I was like born or something. Yes. Uh, let's see. Um, I haven't been much. I've been busy, so I haven't really watched much, sadly, as much as I want to. But I recently am trying to quick finish up as many of the entries on horror queer spooky calendar. Ooh, yeah. um, spooky season calendar. So I just watched Little Shop of Horrors earlier this week in Midsummer. To fill out two of those. Did you say hi to my little Basil Shop of Horrors? Oh, I was oh, thinking Basil's of Basil so Shop dead. of Horrors while watching it. Uh, rest in peace to that plant as well. Oh <laughs> yeah, it's corpses still downstairs. It's corpses <laughs> still downstairs. I mean, I mean that's one way to dry out a basil plant is just let it die <laughs> yeah. and sit there like. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, Susanna, no. So, Susanna, you and Ben Monroe are now tied as the most appearances on the main feed of the podcast with three each. So I'm really so yeah. So I feel like. But does Ben have any Patreon? What? But does Ben have any Patreon appearances? Ben has not been on the Patreon, but for main feed though, I feel like this is like the Saturday night. Saturday Night Live Club thing we need to do, like where like Tom Hanks and I'm trying to remember who all all else has been on like the ten time appearance hosting SNL. So yeah, we'll have to nice. do a, have a similar reward for people who make it to like five or whatever. I but like it. I like it. Since yeah. you've been on the podcast so frequently, you already know our next question, which is real life church horror story. Do you have one you'd like to share? It can be supernatural. It can be church people being shitty. It's usually that one. <laughs> it's it usually that one. Except for <laughs> Twilight Vampire season, then we had a lot of exorcisms. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, like, the one that I feel is the be- my my favorite real life anti because. The antis. The antis at the Supreme Court are a whole nother thing. Now, Pace just came back from D.C., so they have totally come into this. But, like, every year on the anniversary of Roe versus Wade, 
the radical right shipped in every Catholic school they could find on the eastern seaboard, put them on buses and brought them up and put posters in their hands. Every Catholic school kid that didn't want to go to school for a little while. Mm -hmm. So you'd have 100 on on like 100,000 people and then maybe 200,000 on like the fives and zeros, you know, like 15, 20. Okay. So like, I remember this one was a big one and it was the anniversary of Roe and I was working at now in DC and I had only been there for a month and a half. And I am was there now has a lot of issues. One of the best things about now is 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 its bylaws, but now has a lot of issues, as do most primarily white feminist organizations. And I was like this young, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed field organizer who had come in from campaign land, so I'd actually been trained in the stuff that we were talking about doing, and um. And because they had an actual field organizer, they were like, go on down to the Supreme Court. We forgot this was happening. And I was like, excuse me, what? what? And they were Why like, take, take it. forget <laughs> the Roe v. Wade anniversary. They were like, like having a fight with, with what's-his-face. Oh, having a fight with what's-his-face. Commentator, blonde, I can't, I'm sorry, I'm having a, a brain explosion. Anyway, so like, they're having a fight with this one guy. Or whatever. The, no. This is another one. Um, so they're having a fight with one commentator that I can't remember. Oh, um, and then uh, they were just very distracted by that. So it was Roe. They were like, hey, go on down there. Oh, by the way, we got this new crop of interns. Take them with you. And I was like, no, I do not want to do that. I do not want to take untrained people down to the Supreme Court on the anniversary of Roe versus Wade. And they were like, nah, totally, you have to go, you have to go. And I was like, there's 100,000 of them. There will be only 14 of us. And they said, it doesn't matter. And this part was true. The matter is not true. It did matter. But they were like, it doesn't matter. As lo- The newspapers want both sides. They always want to do both sides. So it doesn't mm-hmm. matter if it's one of you and 3 million of them. <laughs> they will cover you both equally as long as you're there. <laughs> And that's the truth. So much truth. That's what that. they do. There's right, but it did matter because these kids were not—they were not trained. They had come in for this internship from like you know, the middle of nowhere, like Dakotas and you know, like <laughs> Nebraska. Like they saw some—they saw some crap out there, but they had not been around one to two hundred k anti-abortion people. So. We got there and I didn't, I didn't have time to, pl- I didn't have time to train them. I didn't have time to do anything. I just said, I need you to promise me you will keep your mouth shut. Say nothing. You are just there to hold the sign and be bodies. And if a press person tries to talk to you, send them to me, send them to me and say nothing. Because if they said something, that it would, would like they, they were, they were getting it. And then I positioned them right in front of the Supreme Court guard so that, <laughs> So what ended up happening was there was 14 of us. The Supreme Court guard was right behind us and a hundred to 200 K of them. And they came down and this was my nightmare. The things that happened, I definitely got kicked. Mm -hmm. I definitely like, I definitely had like a pile. Like it was like 10 or 12 people fall on me. And then the Supreme Court guard like got up in front of me and so people didn't get as close to me but like when they get up screaming in your face three inches away from your face about that your baby killed oh by the way 
all baby killers are lesbians. They're all, <laughs> which makes no sense, but that's <laughs> like there's <laughs> I can't think of a group that may have been more intentional about conceiving, conceiving. than lesbians, but here we go. Like, yeah. um, so like you, there was definitely a lot of homophobia there. Like you can't, um, so it was a lot of homophobia, a lot of, a lot of misogyny, obviously. Um, uh, there was like, if they got really close to your face. So if, if, if there was like a bunch of movement four or five feet behind the person who was in my face, they, everybody would just fall down like dominoes and, and I'd be at the end of the domino chain, right? Mm-hmm. And trying to get the interns to not say anything because the things that they were pelting at them, they had never been around this anymore. So I'm like going back and forth between talking to a press person, dodging plastic fetuses and like going over to trying to get the interns to not say anything because they were starting to get really riled up. There was all these rosaries that were being dangled over our heads and pe- people trying to touch our, our wombs, touch our bellies and like sanctify it. And like oh. all this other weird stuff. I mean, they, they had, they had a core exorcism. It was, it was, it was like, it was like they were trying to do an exorcism. They had the rosaries dangling over and then the plastic fetuses. I don't know where this comes from. I don't, do they hand them out on the bus? How are there yeah. so many tiny plastic fetuses? Right. These little plastic fetuses, which by the way, do hurt when thrown with enough force. Yeah. And just got pelted with these little, it was just, it was a nightmare for me because trying to keep all of those other interns like from saying anything when they have a hundred thousand people in front of them and every now and then they'd slip and they'd say something and then like a horde would descend upon them. like. It, it, uh, that's why I positioned them behind this right in front of the Supreme Court guard so that the Supreme Court guard could do something. Um, thanks Supreme Court guard. Um, but it was just, uh, whew, that was my horror. That mm. was my horror. Really and it, it was just so full of misogyny and homophobia and like terrible theology, terrible science, terrible theology. And you want to say something back. You want to, but that's not why you're there. You're there to be a presence. You're there for the photo in the paper. You're there for the kid who can't say anything to their parents that they had an abortion. You're there for, to let them know that they're not alone. Mm -hmm. You're there for when the press needs the other side to be covered. You're, they come to you and they did come to us. So it was, I'll never forget it though. Do not take 12, 13 interns to a, to a counter protest in front of a hundred thousand people. Do not do it. It's a bad idea. It's a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Having just worked with Senate interns for a month, <laughs> I can tell you they are not the people you want to, <laughs> to be put into any stressful situation. Right. <laughs> also, we just like that is traumatic when you don't have the training and you right, like you have to they during the civil rights movement, they trained hard. Before they let yeah. people do the sit-ins and stuff. That's a, and that's a major. I'm so glad you brought that up because that's one of the major differences. All the different movements of various demographics and marginalization and intersection points. That's one. That's one of the huge differences between like white. I'm going to specifically be like white feminism and like, and um and the civil rights movement is that mm-hmm. we have the mentorship was not there. Like you're talking about a bunch of women who had got all these rights in the sixties and seventies and had built this infrastructure. And then through the eighties, watched it start to erode. And through the nineties, that erosion wasn't cared about by the administration. 
And so mm-hmm. they were watching their life's work. By the time the 2000s hit, they were watching their life's work go down the drain. Yeah. Just go down the drain. And so their fingers got even more clampy around the microphone and the levers of power. And they would not teach young women anything. They just had us be bodies. Oh, go be in front of the Supreme Court. They just had us be bodies. Mm -hmm. We were just as much incubators for their agenda as the antis wanted us to be incubators. That's how they treated young feminists. I know that sounds harsh, but you do not take 12, 13 young women untrained and put them in front of the Supreme Court on the anniversary of Roe v. Wade with 100,000 or 200,000 rabid anti-choicers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I suddenly have feelings. I'm sorry. I'm going to be quiet now. Apology, Apology rejected. rejected. And... <laughs> we literally had you on for this purpose. Right. <laughs> Uh, so speaking of weird, I don't know how to transition. This is why we transition music, but speaking of weird, like, anti-choice propaganda, we have A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child, uh, directed by Stephen Hopkins, who directed Predator 2, Lost in Space from 98 with um, Matthew, uh, the guy from Friends, I can't think of his name. Uh, but this movie came out August 11th, 1989. When was the first time you have seen this film? The first time that I watched this film was last week. (laughs) (laughs) We need to have a drinking, we need to update our drinking game. So anytime that Emily says that the first time they watched the film was within the past week or two, take a shot. Yep. It's true. Maybe that'll be the like after Christmas project. (laughs) Susanna, have you seen this one before? Look, the truth is, Gremlin scared me, okay? I am a major scaredy cat. The reason I got through this one, I mean, I'm more, like, it depends, right? It depends on what your desensitization is. Like, you show me The Handmaid's Tale, you show me cults, you show me those kind of horrors, and I'm like, eh, mala. Like, it wasn't until you, Pace, gifted me with the revelation that I was actually watching horror. I just had been so desensitized from misogyny to notice I was living in horror. So it was just a, <laughs> it was just a Tuesday, oh, yeah. you know, and what I want, Handmaid's Tale, mass incarceration of women, mass, mass subjugation. It's Tuesday. Like I didn't, you know, like, but uh, what you show me gremlins and I'm like, oh my God, the blender. Like it. <laughs> <laughs> So, no, I had not seen it, but I had enough rage and desensitization to get through this perfectly fine. I'd get too mad to be scared. Also, we watched it in, like, two... We we split it up, so we didn't watch it all at once at night. But we did watch it at night, which is... Generally, I'm against that, so... Yeah. Yeah. Getting, getting closer. I, as a kid, though, this one was one of my favorites. Even as an adult, there are still some things I really love about this one, as Mm. gross as it is in other ways. One of the things that I really love about it is it has kind of the queerest ending of all of them, but we'll get there. (laughs) Um, So I have a little bit of background background info for this movie. Um, 
the script wasn't finished by the time filming started because it once again it was filmed it was released within a year of the previous one so mm-hmm. way to go there studio um the Hashtag. final cut greatly omitted several scenes and cut down others uh, drastically especially scenes with dan and greta um some of it was for pacing others was to keep the film rating r as opposed uh, to lead... what 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 rated r as opposed to a higher and rating the 17 yeah uh-huh. Yep. Uh, this is something you'll find a lot in horror movies, especially in the 80s, is that they often had to cut out some of the graphic stuff to keep it rated R instead of NC-17. <laughs> um, and Or rated X, as it used to be, but now it's NC-17. Uh, and so this kind of leads to some disjointed moments, and the film doesn't quite that make as much sense as it probably was, was intended to. Yeah, that explains why I was so confused about Greta. Like, I was like, who yeah. is this? What is going on? Why dolls? Why yeah. dinner? What? Yeah. Yep, yep. Uh, Sarah Risher, who is the executive producer, was a new mom when they were um, coming out with the idea for what would be part five. So she kind of came out with the idea as she was thinking, uh, kind of absorbed into early motherhood and thinking about like all the threats and of harm and safety to a newborn child and how to best care for it. Mm-hmm. She was thinking oh, what if we brought that into the Freddy universe and how scary that can be? So, And she also kind of made the point that fans of the original were getting older and starting to think of having families. So maybe this will help keep the film relevant. Um, And then also, I just find this so weird. This kind of goes into the weirdness our culture has around babies and things like abortion and stuff like that. Because the original poster for this film by Matthew Peake, he did the posters for the original five. Uh, He had freddy's claws outstretched and inside of his claws was a fetus but then they had to censor that so they because that was too um controversial so then they ended up putting a baby carrot inside of freddy's claws Uh, so there's that there is the like the baby carriage doesn't come in until the very end so it's yeah it's intriguing to me that like this movie that is full of anti-choice propaganda doesn't want to actually have the images connected to it like yeah it's just more propaganda but also because the fetus is in risk of being harmed by freddy so you can't put that out there that's too awful or whatever it's so weird um Mm -hmm. so we'll go into the summary uh this movie was set a year after the previous film so in that year alice and dan are now dating and we open up with the sex scene of them uh, which like the sex scene Susanna had some had some thoughts on that sex scene I particularly was interested in the explosive water in the shower yeah. because... <laughs> there was a whole but bunch I don't think I think that was an accident see here's the thing like I think <laughs> I think that the cishets are obsessed with like with the vulnerability of nakedness and and so the shower i think the shower happened for the same reason the bath did and that other one it was like she's vulnerable right mm-hmm. and she's naked we can't we can't really show horror unless we show a woman being terrorized while naked like that's like a required required thing um but like completely 
like ignore like at least I could tell at least it seemed to me from the sex scene like that was the only chance she was ever gonna get of an explosion of water like anytime <laughs> soon right? like it was it was it was really? so I think it was so boring and um <laughs> I think you asked if it was like snakes right I was like it is was like or snakes I was like yeah I was like is he like is this sex or is somebody or is this worm like worms crawling up yes, into definitely. somebody like and I think that the cisheads think that that's what sensitive emotional lovemaking looks like or something <laughs> like 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 the kind of you know the kind of lovemaking that like justifies conception like we had to be clear this could not be just a roll in the hay it could not be in the back seat mm -hmm. of a car this was a precious baby that must be protected you know so yeah. like the sex had to be emotional but mm. the people who did it didn't know what that looks like so the guest and it ended up looking like worms like i don't this is that's my theory that's my theory trying to impregnate her through her belly button too like i just mm -hmm. i don't think that's 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 by the way belly buttons is like the opposite of fetish for me like i really hate them so like that's it was like just like yeah it, there was just so much belly button. There was so much of it. So, after this really awkward sex scene, Alice has a dream with explosive water and the stuff, and she apparently dreams of a nun who is once again Amanda Kruger, uh, from who we were introduced in the last two, actually. And so, mm -hmm. it's Freddie's mom, and we see the birth of Freddie after the rape of Amanda Kruger, by which was all like the... terribly done. Yes, one hundred percent terribly done. And we learn more about that. We follow the weird... We see her give birth to a weird uh, baby, uh, Freddy, who ends up giving rejuvenate... Uh, ends up somehow rejuvenating to the adult Freddy. And so Freddy's back. Yeah, Yay. that's what's confusing. Not gonna lie. Right. Like, what just happened? I don't understand. Yep, yep. Yeah. And then... Uh, after the dream, it is now a uh, graduation. All the kids are graduating. We meet Alice and Dan's new friends who apparently have no memory of all the kids dying a year earlier. Um, okay. <laughs> also, like, graduation parents are the worst. Mm-hmm. Which is awful. Plus, we get the creepy kids again. The creepy kids in white. Yes. One, two, Freddy coming for you. Yep, yep. Uh, but because of that dream, Alice realizes, and a subsequent dream, Alice realizes Freddie's back. So she tells Dan they're at a pool party. Yeah, Dan's uh, at a pool party while she's, like, working. Right? Cool. Mm -hmm. Way to be romantic there, Dan. Um, but Because he, he's also bringing her champagne or something. But he races yeah. to see her, falls asleep at the wheel, and dies in a weird mixture of a truck and motorcycle death. Yeah. It was also confusing. And also, like, Freddy possesses Dan. This is, I think, the first point in this movie where Freddy comes into real life in a very clear yeah. way. Um, that's not just, like, like, yeah, Dan maybe fell asleep, but Dan hasn't been in dreams. Maybe he has. I don't know. It, it felt like the first time that Freddy really came into real life, and then, like, Freddy possessed Dan's truck and for the first time, yep, yep. a white guy died first. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Wait, wait, wait. So that hasn't happened before? 
I don't that know if a white guy died first. Yeah, yeah usually it doesn't happen. I don't know if it has happened before, but it's not the usual. I think the I think the first in Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two, a white guy also dies first because I think the gym teacher mm-hmm. dies first. In that one. Okay, but, but that then it's a gay it's white a guy. Rarity. So, but this guy also gets, but Dan also gets like penetrated by like stuff. It's it's kind of a queer death too. Um, Mm-hmm. The game penetrated by pieces of the motorcycle, and this was apparently one of the scenes that was cut heavily was this motorcycle death because it was too probably too gay, is my sense, but they were, but also too gory. Yeah, um, it is though the the that space of the way that Freddy kills people and the like penetration and all of that, but also tied into that is like that this is child molestation like mm-hmm. that they are still kids and that's like the gym teacher too yeah um although presumably these are all 18 year olds if they're graduating but still the point still like stands so it's um, right on the edge and that's always yeah a um uh, so we pick back up with alice who hears the accident and runs out and sees dan's dead body reanimated by freddy and she faints she wakes up in a hospital she learns that dan died from yvonne who works there and she also learns that she is pregnant mm-hmm. while she's in the hospital she sees a young boy named jacob who at this point i said jacob is her kid right i'm oh, look at you predicting yeah. it and I know. wow i'm so proud of myself because it's because she said, I always liked the name Jacob. And then you're mm-hmm. like, oh, mm-hmm. obviously. Yep. And then we get the big dun-dun-dun mystery of Yvonne saying, uh, there are no children on this floor. Uh, so like I don't know where this kid came yep. from. Um, okay. So, I'll... like, that begins the – can I inject for a second? Yes, please. Yeah. That begins this unbelievably harmful um, – stereotype that all pregnant people are at one with their fetus Mm -hmm. this causes in my opinion anyway this is one of the sources of why postpartum is so devastating because there is this i should feel this i should feel that i should you know intimately Mm. know what's going on with the thing that's growing inside me that's really only you know i've had cancer that had more cells than that like it it doesn't but there's Mm -hmm. this idea and i want to like in the beginning as we discuss it like put out there they don't know anything about how this kind of body works okay how bodies that are on particularly bodies that are on estrogen in some kind of way um how they work Mm -hmm. and in this case people Mm -hmm. with vaginas and people with uteruses and what up at this point only was called women and um they don't know how it works and thus begin thus is the the magical mystery of life um that (laughs) the womanhood the magical Mm -hmm. mystery and once once there's sex after that they don't know. They don't want to know. Do you know how many men still think yep. that urine and period blood come out of the same hole? 
like still think that my ex thought that so i educated him holy so. crap <laughs> like i mean it's still like they don't wow. have any idea how it works at all remember the the amazing tiktok song that one girl did about like when the first female astronaut went into space nasa gave her 100 (laughs) tampons for like a matter of days because they were like i don't know how many she needs like no idea how it works and worse they don't want to know don't want to know would much rather keep it mystified and mystical and that mystery Mm -hmm. has a double-edged sword one hand it's like Oh, it's precious and holy. And then on the other hand, it's demonic that who knows what the hell could come out? Who knows what the hell could happen? But that that's like the core of mm-hmm. why women are so um, evil because they can produce, they are responsible for this thing. They are one with this thing that's growing inside them and they, who knows what's going to happen. And it, it, mm. it, this mystery has not gone away and you can tell that the cishets writing this and directing this were completely mystified about vaginas, yep. uteruses, It was pregnancy. written by a dude and directed by a dude. No idea what's I mean, going on the, and didn't want to the know. The timeline, right? The timeline. This is days after they had sex and presumably that was the time that she got pregnant. Otherwise, why are they showing that particular one? days later timeline yeah it is like that timeline is identical to anti-abortion it's identical to anti-abortion um advocates so anti-abortion advocates are always going in there protesting like even in states states that have like um you know like have the most up until rows overturned identify a fetus (laughs) in order to advocate for abortion at that stage. It's true. But like they'll go in there and they really believe this. Okay. They really believe this. They'll go in when they're protesting. They really believe that those full term fetus carcass pictures that they have are what's happening in a 12 week pregnancy. Like they fully believe it. Mm-hmm. And what I what I saw in this movie was identical to the anti abortion messaging that something that Right. That soon in the pregnancy actually looks like this fully fledged, like baby that hasn't come right. out yet. Instead of like what really honestly that looks has more like a to- like a toadstool. Yes, they look like uh, yeah. tadpoles. They look like tadpoles at that point. Yes. If they look like anything beyond cells, they look like tadpoles. But like that messaging was identical. That that early on, it looks mm-hmm. like this and. It has not stopped. In fact, I remember asking when they did that, like, internal swim thing. I remember asking, and they showed the fetus. I was like, oh, my God, I'm positive. I've seen this on an anti-abortion protest line. I think I've seen this exact still <laughs> shot. Like, I really, I do. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I've seen that exact still shot. It's eh. so. Which, to eh. me, might mean that they were taking it from this movie. I did that. That's exactly where I'm going with this. I'm pretty sure they took it from this movie. It look it looks exactly the same, and 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 does okay. it matter? No. It what did it take? It doesn't even take a doctor consult. It, it any any first year nurse any any anybody 
it didn't take much for them to be more educated about this, but they clearly, A, did not want to be, because there had to be mm-hmm. someone with a uterus somewhere on that set, right? Somewhere. They did not yeah. want to be. They actively wanted not to be. Not even like a passive didn't want to be. They actively wanted not to be. Yeah. Actively not. Don't worry. The next one is directed by a woman who I love, Rachel Talalay, and we can talk about what the male producers and stuff told this poor woman who was directing mm. part six. Oh. So we'll get there oh. next, next um, time. But so, yeah. And also the fact that Jacob shows up as like, like a five-year-old, five six-year-old kid ability for, with ability to like have a connection to his mother and form talk to her and have these form sentences and stuff. I mean, come yeah. on. Uh, but he, of course, uh, would go on to greater fame playing the kid in Jurassic Park uh, who gets the, the in the very beginning, not the main kid, not Tim, but the kid in the beginning who has the claw that the whatever. Uh, y'all know who I'm talking about, I hope. Sure. Um, so Alice, so after this, Alice has, eventually, Jurassic Park is on the list. One okay. of these it's years. been a while since I've seen it. Alice tells her remaining friends, Yvonne, Mark, and Greta, about Freddy. They all disregard her fears, with the exception of Mark, who's kind of like, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Also, the friends in this sound a lot like Job's friends in the book of Job in the Bible. Like, they kind of are okay with her being worried. And then ultimately, they're like, no, not at all understanding. Like, no. And like, do they it. not know all the kids who died in their class like literally a year ago? Right? According Whatever. to the Springwood High reunion <laughs> class from 20 years ago, um, they all, like half the class died. So, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm crossing uh, Freddy Gospels, if you will. But. Yeah. <laughs> We're not synchronous here. You can't synchronize the Friday gospel account. That's because it's impossible. Right. So then the first kid of this new group to get picked off is Greta. Um, mm-hmm. She dies at dinner. She, her mom wants her to be a model. And her mom also wants her to like be present at dinner, even though her friend just died. And so there's another yeah, example of another parent here. Her mom, her mom is bad. Also, she has, like, really creepy dolls, and I don't understand why the dolls are connected. Because it was probably cut out. (laughs) Yeah. And it's it's a whole lot that is, like, really disturbing the way that it happens because it's connected to dinner and um, disordered eating and, like, her mom wanting her to not eat and then wanting her to eat. Yep, yep. And And the cutout scene... um, which sadly this has not been released on DVD to see the cutout scene, but th- but on the VHS, which I had as a kid growing up of the uncut version, you actually get to see Freddy, what Freddy is feeding her, and he's feeding her her own intestines during this, and that's why they cut that out, but it oh. was extra gruesome for that. And then at the very end when she reappears, um, and Alice... Uh, you see um, Freddy kind of taunting Alice by, like, 
taking his claw and picking up a piece of her and testing out and saying, hmm, tastes so good or whatever. And so that was a throwback to a scene that was actually cut out. So. Yeah, this was creepy. And it was like, it was super creepy. And it was another Greta is killed in her dream and in Alice's reality, where Alice was awake when it happened. And like Greta like jumped into her fridge or something. Yep. Okay. And we... Uh, and we realize what, how that's happening shortly. Um, we find out because of so Alice's... Wait, wait. Can, I, can I pop yeah, up please. something real quick? Um, every instance in here is, like, the most egregious, at least the most egregious is here, are... Show, like, I feel like this movie shows more about the subconscious fears of cisette men than it does mm. anything else. Yeah. Even, at, like, for example... There's a co- there's a common re reemerging reemerging theme of mothers control babies from the second of conception, okay? And it's mysterious and weird and supernatural, and we don't want to know about it. But because they can, we must control mothers. If we do not control women, they will have control over what we've implanted and i say that because have you ever seen the documentary 12th and delaware no i I highly recommend this it's a documentary that was done oh i don't know like 11 years ago and uh it there is a corner in um i think pennsylvania where on one corner is an abortion clinic and um free pap smears and free gynecological exams and things like that low-income women's health care and then the other side is a fake pregnancy center which are these places that lure women in with pregnancy tests Mm -hmm. and promise to give them all these things as long as they don't have an abortion and it's a whole big thing and they followed these people around and the theme like they they interviewed them and it was the men were absolutely terrifying they were absolutely terrifying. They justified stalking. They wrote down license plate numbers. They um, visited people at their homes. They like, I mean, like they were terrified. And the theme over and over was, that's mine. Mm-hmm. I don't want a woman to be able to abort my baby. It wasn't about a baby. It wasn't about a life. It was about what was theirs. Oh, I think somebody would just have an abortion because they don't like their boyfriend i think somebody would have an abortion because they didn't want a kid to look like me i think somebody would want an abortion because they didn't want me in their life it's about them right and so like all of these people showing up in these clinic environments is for real for real documentary 12 in delaware it's amazing there's all this conversation about about them and how it affects them and that it's theirs and they don't have control over what's theirs then at the end they kind of tackle on i just care about babies (laughs) which clearly they don't they care about control and in this movie you see that subconscious idea over and over greta's mother is an example of what happens when you can't control a woman what happens to her how she has control over her kids Mm-hmm. and controls her kid and messes up her kid's life and blah, 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 blah. And there's a fight basically for control over this fetus that comes from all these different places. And, you know, like it just, it, to me, and I don't think that they meant it to be that way, but I think the fears of cishet men not being able to control, mm-hmm. like 
that that's just very, very clear in here. Particularly white men not being yeah. able to control. Yeah. Well, and that's... Be- like- and, and, and not being able to control cishet white women in particular. Because, like, we all know, like, before abortion became legal, we were trying to keep white women from having abortions in this country. But we were forcibly giving black women hysterectomies. Mm-hmm. They go in for tonsillitis and come out with a hysterectomy. We're sterilizing. So all kinds of content warnings on this one, y'all. Um, yes. Yeah. But, like, there's I definitely guess... this feel about control, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and we hear it now, too, today, in, in the whole, like, white people are going to be outnumbered. Like, we want to control population. Well, yeah. they want to control population. Yeah. But, and I think, and you kind of get at this, the, like, I'm thinking back to the people in my life where there has been a teenage pregnancy, and the vast majority of them, the sperm donor for the pregnancy is at least in their 20s, um, which is statutory rape. Um, but also, like, it is frequently a way to control, not just like a, like you talked about um, this, they don't want this kid that looks like me, whatever. It's not just a, like, this kid is mine. It is, as long as this kid is born, then I have control over this person's life because I have half that kid. Like, I have claimed to have that kid, and therefore... Um, I can manipulate this kid. This no, you're completely person. right. Yeah. Remember the grandparent scene, which again, another example. Like, what was the point of the grandparent scene? That it was just it was just there for no reason. No, it was there to specifically say, "Hey, this fetus doesn't completely belong to you." And and the script literally says, "We have a claim to it too." Mm-hmm. So even in the absence of the other half of the DNA being alive, like that family history, that family genealogy, that family legacy is still held just as important, whether he's dead or alive. And the doctor, right? The doctor breaks, like violates HIPAA. Violates HIPAA. And tells them about the appointment that she had. Yeah. As if that was, and neither one of those things were normal, like, the violating HIPAA thing, that was, HIPAA existed when this movie was made. Mm-hmm. Yep. Did not feel a need to, like, they did not feel a need to acknowledge that in this movie, which, again, like, shows a certain mentality about there's a fear of a woman. I mean, what's, what's the point of the grandparents? There wasn't a plot line well, about it. It didn't go anywhere. It was just like, hey, let me remind the viewer that this isn't all her responsibility. Well, I think I think it does actually, I am I interpret that differently, but of course, um, as a person without a uterus, I defer to y'all's interpretation here. But like, I interpret this as this is the first time where they are trying to finally give Alice some agency over her pregnancy. So she makes a stand against them and says, no, this is all my child. And mm-hmm. from that point forward to the end, she's fighting Freddie and basically makes a stand and is able to uh, create this queer chosen family at the very end with her. Uh, by rejecting all these other forces that are trying to control her, whether it's Freddie through the unborn child or whether it's um, uh, Dan's parents and all that mm-hmm. stuff. So that so I interpreted which, that slightly differently yeah. as like this is a which also like they were terrible parents. Like yes. they tried to manipulate and control Dan the whole way, and then they're like, "We're going to be better at it than you are." Yep. What you're yep. going to like do the same thing because you think you did well. 
Yep. But this is after the scene though is also where we find out why Alice keeps having these waking dreams of Freddy because mm-hmm. apparently this made up science that the child is the unborn child at this point, which is still a fetus, <laughs> uh, is mm-hmm. um, able to spend most of its life in dream uh, while in the while yeah, in utero, and so life is dreaming and sleeping. Yeah, so Freddy is able to use the fetus's dreams to interact with Alice in the real world by by going through the fetus. Um, so that's mm-hmm. how Alice keeps getting these um, interruptions into her waking life by Freddy and seeing people like um, Greta being killed through the refrigerator, even though she's clearly awake during this. Um, Greta, of course, is asleep. But... Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Then we get to Mark, who dies in Freddy Cartoon World, and we also get to see this lovely Freddy house again, in, <laughs> which is really Nancy's house. But by this point, the franchise has wholesale yeah. just said, nope, this is Freddy's house. <laughs> yeah. Also, another example of don't trust boys, right? Like, Mark seems like the more trustworthy of all the boys, but still, he falls asleep. Yeah. So. And I will say, I feel like Mark's a little queer. I don't know yeah. if I'm just... Yeah. He's artsy. He dresses right. fashionably for early, for late eighties, early nineties. Mm-hmm. I don't call it fashionable today, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, um, he, he gives a shit about what his female friends say. Eventually, right. he like lashes like, out and then realizes that he has done it, and is like, "Oh no, I messed up." Takes responsibility and apologizes immediately. Doesn't have to be told, doesn't have to be corrected. He just like automatically knows he does it. Yep, yep. Um, so he dies in his sleep. In this, I actually kind of like the scene of the like black and white stuff and the use of art and all that. It's kind of I fun. really liked it too. I liked the art imitating life, imitating art, imitating. The, I wasn't cycle. even thinking of that. It was all aha and take on me for me. Like it was the <laughs> right? whole, I, that's <laughs> the what... whole time was like take on me. Right, right. Um, and then the song "Take on Me." Like, have you ever seen the video? My God, I'm so old. It's very similar. I just don't know one, music. One of them had to inspire the other. I'm not sure which came first, but I'm pretty sure "Aha, Take on Me" came first. But yeah, it okay. was clearly inspired by it. Um, yeah. Ivan almost drowns in a hot tub uh, while Another dreaming of Freddy. Thing. Yeah, but why? Why fall asleep in a hot tub? For fuck's sake. Like, don't go in a hot tub if you're tired. Just don't. Like, yeah. you're going to drown if Freddy doesn't get you. Either way, don't do it. Right? And, um, like, she's supposed to be going swimming because she missed swim practice. Right? So, um, but she finally realizes Freddy's real. So she teams up with Alice. Yvonne unburies. Uh, Yvonne is to go to Smith's Grove Sanitarium, which is now abandoned, um, which is from part three. Mm-hmm. Uh, so apparently... In the two years since part three, that one the Smiths Grove Sanitarium was shut down, no longer service youth, and got to such a level of derelict <laughs> that like the building is literally falling apart in just two years after closing down. But whatever. Um, know. So Yvonne goes up to the tower uh, to find Amanda's grave. Which is, like, the easiest thing in the world to find because it's a terribly built wall. Like, it is obvious. 
Also, yep, yep, they yep. say that she died by suicide by hanging, but didn't have a body. And that just like makes no sense. Right. It's like all the, it's like all the um, young, particularly black male youth who are found dead by apparent suicide, according to the police reports, even though everyone around them is like, no, this was a lynching. But everyone's like, no, it was suicide, clearly. Yeah, no, that's not, no. Well, I mean, like, we have to talk about that, like, the nun. Like, why nun? Like, rape is bad. Rape is very, very bad. But there's a reason why a nun was picked. Mm -hmm right mm-hmm. so like we talk about the spirituality not rape will cause all kinds of trauma and it's very very bad but the kind of badness that creates a freddy krueger must come from the rape of like the most pure mm-hmm. the most like like a violent mm-hmm. like this the the birth of a freddy krueger must come from the violation of that mystical mystery womanhood thing that we have going on in this film that doesn't make any sense whatsoever the birth didn't make any sense either like the Mm -hmm. birth of of freddy krueger didn't make any sense neither does her death and her disappearing and when she finally does like ascend or whatever and she just like i mean there's a whole bunch of ascension going on here there's a whole bunch of like catholicism Mm -hmm. like mary like untouchable so like there's there's a lot of like this deification of feminine purity mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that being connected to the magical mystery whatever like yeah. that is well, going on with birth and conception and, and part of that right like is the that it is gang rape and so i actually wonder if the directors and writers and producers all of these guys actually think that Freddie biologically is the kid of all of those people who raped her like probably but then they probably do but then the weird thing is so I feel like that is like what's going on in parts three and four and maybe even part six but the weird thing is they have Robert Englund in the cameo among the 100 inmates in that scene Mm. so like they clearly have the person who plays Freddie walking among them so it kind of seems to me to imply that oh that guy is actually freddy's father um not all 99 of the remaining ones so it's just if they're trying to create a message there it clearly is something not well thought out or not planned because it did not but like to be clear like even the trauma that she experiences is not the main source of freddy's evilness the trauma that she experiences is not the main source the many many quote-unquote lunatics is the main source so like what would cause a freddy krueger is clearly disability mm-hmm. that warpedness of, of like they're juxtaposed they're juxtaposing what they consider to be warped people with mental illness with perfect a woman who's a nun mm-hmm. and that this collision of the two creates the most incredible abomination yeah there's so much wrong with this yeah it's so ableist it's so like 
it's so gross like the whole thing was just so the whole time i was just completely grossed out and the rape was just to make i don't know just just to make it even more horrible yeah just i feel like the rape was just to indicate that she had no control was just to further exacerbate that it's their control Mm -hmm. they're in control Yes. And, and at the end of the day, even though they were in control, she's still responsible for what her offspring turns out to be. Mm-hmm. She's still held responsible to the point where like her soul cannot rest yeah. mm-hmm. because she has that amount of responsibility that is in, that's just like natural for her. Cause again, mysterious weird womanhood and like this, so it there it yeah. there's so many juxtapositions. It is men are supposed to control the bodies, and it's still it's still the fault of the person with the uterus if what happens is is a terrible outcome. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think this actually connects with, and I don't, I've been doing my best not to use Harry Potter examples, but I think this connects in a way that just is condemning of the author. So I'm gonna go for it. Um, but it is very much connected to Voldemort's origin yeah. story because Voldemort was born, was conceived while his sperm donor was under, was taking Emertentia, the love potion, which is really like an obsession potion. Um, so he was not conceived out of love. And then his mom um, died shortly after he was born because she like didn't have the will to live to love him because she had been scorned by the muggle that she had like Mm. that she had drugged into loving her and so then Voldemort becomes who he is because he was conceived without love you know what I'm gonna go ahead and say like perhaps that's Perhaps that's the way that she wrote it to be, but I still feel some internalized misogyny in there. Like that really Voldemort is the way he is because his father was not in control, was not in control, had control and worse abomination of abominations. This woman was in control, Mm -hmm. like complete control, levels of control that men usually have. Yeah. And men try to have in other parts of the book when 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 ron wants to do it it's funny when Mm -hmm. she does it it's an abomination that that results in a voldemort like there is this like and that's some internalized misogyny there yeah and that she doesn't have the strength to actually like follow through with the consequences of her action like there's a there's a like, oh, you tried to be as strong and controlling as a man, but you failed and now you will die. So, I mean, I feel there definitely are a lot of like similarities and I appreciate you bringing that up, even though she who will not be named was named. Yeah, sort of. but but it's like condemning of her because it's it is problematic writing. Yeah. There, mm-hmm. There's a lot of problematic writing on her part. Mm-hmm. Like all these like women are just for me, like as like for me as like, you know, former professional get paid to be a feminist um the women are just plot lines in men's stories the whole time Mm -hmm. and everything they send the plot line it's very it's very um twain for me 
there are stoic characters and there are dynamic characters and the dynamic characters are not female yeah the ones that change and grow no they're there to civilize the boys around them yeah you know sorry tangent (laughs) that's what this podcast is about Mm -hmm. Um, i have a lot of feelings but i want to know your theological takes on why they chose a nun pace i think no i think you nailed it um it's like the the rape of something that is holy and pure is what is able to create such an abomination i think that's exactly what is going on there Mm -hmm. i think is what's trying to go on with that there's a lot of weird catholic imagery in parts three four and five uh, especially once Wes Craven is no longer in control of the franchise, it just goes in this really weird Catholic direction. I don't know why. Um, I don't know if it Robert is Shea is still is like Catholic. the, especially for people who are like not fundagelicals, Catholic is the epitome of Christianity for so many. And especially like yep. when there are things like The Exorcist, where it, it like reinforces that, those ideas. That's my theory. Well, when well, you haven't seen The Exorcist, so when we no, get no. to The Exorcist, I'm excited the to to I'm enti- I'm excited to talk about how I don't think you're correct there, uh, but we'll get there. All right, all right. <laughs> but yes, I think the effect of The Exorcist is that, but yeah. I think the film itself is trying to say something different. Oh yeah, I'm talking um, about like the idea of not the actual film because I haven't seen it. Uh, but yeah, so getting back, picking up back up with Jacob. Ugh. So Jacob is able to save the day by using the power Freddie gave him in a really cool MC Escher inspired dreamscape. This is that. one of the reasons this Escher. Yeah, I love the final act of this film. Like it really, it really works for me. Um, mm-hmm. even though the rest of the film I feel like is really um anti-women, anti-feminist trash. This mm-hmm. part, like from this part to the end, I just love. Uh he is able to turn into infant Freddie. Uh Freddy turns into infant Freddy and is absorbed by ghost of Amanda Kruger while Jacob is absorbed back into Alice as a baby. Uh, so I take it back. I don't like this part. It's really weird. But the rest of this scene. It feels like, like Pokemons. <laughs> right? <laughs> the Pokeball. The womb is a Pokeball. It is. Like Pokeball. Pokemon go. Like whatever. It, 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 it just. Yep. Uh, it's like fetus Pokemon. Freddy tries to escape. Amanda locks the doors and herself with Freddy as Freddy keeps trying to escape. And I think this uh, reinforces your point, Susanna, about like it is Amanda's problem. So Amanda Amanda needs to be the one to sacrifice herself to protect the world from Freddy as the mother of Freddy um, and stuff like that. Which is like she just got freed. Right. From so, Which is like cool. a whole other thing, but... She just got freed, so now she's Why do we feel like present. we have to sacrifice our happiness for everybody else? I don't know. Why? <laughs> Why? Don't know. But then we get this really cute scene, though, of this happily ever after as Grandpa Alice and Yvonne are, like, together, this weird, cute little chosen fam- queer chosen family raising baby Jacob together. Um, okay. And they all seem happy. And yeah. we get kids singing the Freddie Nursery rhyme. Okay. You know, do you ever kid. get the feeling 
And I think uh, this is my, like, because I think Pace is right. There's a whole bunch of things out there that, like, it's clear that there wasn't a queer hand anywhere near it, right? And yet things are queer coded. And I realized when I was watching this, I was like, ah, because when I was watching this part, it was like the cute chosen family at the end with, like, Grandpa Yvonne and Alice and Yvonne, who I think is clearly a lesbian, like, or at least is gonna find out in college, like, definitely gonna be a lesbian until graduation, graduation at least, right? Like, so, like, um, but so I, I get the feeling now. So how does this happen? How are these queer coded things happening in these super cishet, like super gender, uh, gender binary context? And I realize this is what the cishets think when they look at us. <laughs> <laughs> and then they go off and they write screenplays because they're confused. Yep. They don't know what's happening. So they like make up like a whole story and like it could be fodder for like their creativity, but they don't really understand what's going on. So like Avant's not like the the inspiration for Avant, probably a lesbian, but like comes for you know, the inspiration for Mark, probably the gay guy pal, you know, but like from the CISF perspective with no gaydar, they're just like, oh, he likes to draw a lot and looks really nice in his clothes and is in touch yeah. with his feelings. You know, like, so like maybe this is what we look like on it the could other be. side. But I have a theory that I feel like works in tandem with yours, which is okay. that horror is an inherently queer genre mm. because horror, for many reasons, one of which though is horror was created by the queers. Mary Shelley uh, was queer. Bram Stoker was queer. Um, And so, like, if you're going to use these horror tropes that are what makes horror what it is and rely on these tropes to make a horror film, you're going to be using tropes invented by queer people. So you cannot, like, you cannot separate that out. And the other thing is because horror is a way for us to deal with the grotesque and because cishets have categorized queer people as grotesque it horror inevitably is a place that deals with us queer folk um and usually what is horrifying for cishet people is liberating liberating for us queer folk Ah. so they unintentionally are creating these really queer liberating stories what um by <laughs> kind of working through their own fears and their own phobias around uh, gender That's and sexuality awesome. so it's like it's like like i'm over here and not okay you make all the sense in the world to me right now pace like looking at it that way it's like i see your blood and gore i see your knives and your axes but i've had thanksgiving dinner with my bio family so like that's how I like like I'm at home here like I'm happy to like go like this this is my domain like I'm at home here kind of like my desensitization that I was talking about earlier you know but like yeah I could now I could see I can see it I can see it yeah like I'm not uncomfortable in some of these aspects I was uncomfortable with the blender at gremlins okay but like the, but this but like you know mass rape of a nun and the ear and the like all the things that were wrong with that portrayal I'm perfectly I'm 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 angry about I wasn't like like as a person who's experienced sexual assault I was not triggered by this in any way shape or form I was just like here they go again with their 
deification of the mysterious vagina and the mysterious uterus. Ooh, we don't know what happens there. Um, like, I was angry about it. Meanwhile, the gremlin blender mm-hmm. will, like, screw me up. But, like, you know, Most like... the gremlins are adorable. Even when they turn into, I like, am a white woman who likes pets, okay? Like, it... <laughs> Can't put furry things in a blender. I don't care how mean they are. Gandalf looks like a gremlin. I mean, he really does. He does. But he's so cute. He has the big ears, the big eyes. He's so cute, though. He's so adorable. I love him to death. But, like, no, I mean, I'm sorry. I got off tangent. But I I affirm and I love and I hear your point. Like, and um, this idea that, like, they're, yeah, yeah, I like it. I keep thinking about it. All these things are making sense. Like, yeah. No. Yeah, yeah, like, like your biggest nightmare is this like deification and but you know what I've been dealing with the I'm a wrong woman for a long time that I am a scarred woman, a marred woman, a woman who's who's been who's been wrong. I've been doing I've been I've been doing female incorrectly my whole life. Um, so I mean, like, I'm not I'm not. I don't know, reacting as hardcore to when they like, when they create things the way that they create mm-hmm. things, because I've always been the marred scarred woman. So like, uh, yep, that makes so it, much sense. It's because queer liberation is horrifying to cishets. Really mm-hmm. is. Speaking um, of but didn't Alice and Yvonne look like the cutest couple at the end there? Yes. Right? And I think that's intentional. I mean, I don't know. It's probably not intentional, but like, I think there I think there is a way that we can definitely read Alice as queer, especially from part four. Is that the one that came before this? Yes, yes, part four. It definitely seems that she has a big girl crush on Kirsten before or Kristen before Kristen dies. Oh yeah. And so Yeah. Well and I, I, I totally ship Yvonne and Alice. I think that's what's going on there. So speaking of <laughs> queer is better. Um as we are we in the deep dive? Did I miss that transition? We've kind of been in. We we haven't officially transitioned, but we we're in the deep dive. Yeah. We've been deep diving all. Okay, I do think that one of the main theological themes of the movie is that queer is better because mm-hmm. we have as evidence one sex or worms, as Susanna pointed out. It just looks squirmy. Exhibit <laughs> B. Why do they have to shower? Right? I was waiting for somebody to lay eggs in somebody else. It was so <laughs> gross. I mean, hey, we've already talked start. about that in Twilight, so... I will always talk about the eggs. <laughs> the egg-laying dildo. It's my calling card now, okay? Right. We have talked about this. And Pace is not Your kink is not my kink, and it's okay, but also... Episode. I don't want to put that on They need to pay me for the advertising I give them. They, they really should. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so sex are worms. Also, why do you have to shower right after sex? Like, really? That messy that your whole body needs cleaned? Or do you just need to oh my God, I have so much to say that I can't say right now. Experience. I imagine you both Ugh. might have things to say, but my experience, I can't What's tell you about experience? I can't tell you about it because some bishops might think it's their business. <laughs> I can't tell you I mean... <laughs> When you have butt sex, you usually have want to shower afterwards. Just saying that. Okay. Is that what Alice did? Is that why she was so squirmy? I wonder. (laughs) I mean, that makes sense. Although I'm pretty sure Alice would be the top. 
I'm 99% sure that Alice would be using a strap on on Dan. That seems like <laughs> how the relationship would work. Yeah. yeah. And maybe that's why it was so wormy because it was the first time where he was trying to top her. And so that that's why I didn't. Nobody work was out. topping anybody. Nobody <laughs> was topping anybody. There was, was a topping. topping. A <laughs> that, there was no topping. <laughs> There was there wasn't a top there. It was just a plate. Always caressing people's backs with feet. I don't know how that worked. I don't. But, yeah. yeah, it was like all these like deliberate like don't let the camera see a body part thing. So it just looked undulating and yeah. like that's you know that's like literally that's like word. every cis at sex scene ever. Bodies undulating. Bodies undulating. And mostly you just see the back and maybe the butt. I don't know Not any cis crack, women but... that would ever exp- that would ever describe their sexual experiences as undulating. I'm I mean, not cis het or a woman, so I got nothing. But I, I know, I know enough, women. and none of them, none, none of my friends anyway, would describe it as undulating. <laughs> yeah, that they would describe it all different kinds of ways, usually on either side of that that word but never in that middle weird thing i don't know i mean like i have answers as to why one might but i i don't think we're as after i know where this is after hours but i don't know for that after hours you're the one that brought up stephanie meyer's sperm fetish (laughs) sperm fetish at that and egg laying dildos i can't (laughs) imagine is is uh, less safe for work than egg laying dildos (laughs) there's just you know, like sometimes that stuff that he that he that Dan did was is sticky and gross. <laughs> and sometimes on the other end, if she did, um, no, she was not squirting. She was not squirting. You don't squirt from an undulation, which is my new <laughs> word now. Undulation. There is no squirting from undulations, and there was no cause. For, that's why. So I realized it has to be him. It had to be sticky Dan because it's not her because. There was, there was no, yeah, no, no, yeah. she could not have, she could not have squirted at all. Like the shower was the closest she was going to get to it from Sticky Dan. Yeah. So it was Sticky, Sticky Dan. Dan. I, I firmly believe I it's Sticky Dan. I call him Sticky Dan from now on. His name I mean, is Sticky Dan now. You know it is. Un- the amount of undulating he was doing, I'm sure not only did he have his sticky ejaculate all over her, which is gross, but I also think that he was probably gross and smelly and sweaty, and that was probably getting all over her, so mm-hmm. she probably needed to shower to get that off because okay. of all the undulating he was doing. That's fair. I think that's true. That's fair. She was probably getting, she was probably trying to lay an egg or two and just get it out, <laughs> out of her body as soon as she could. Right. <laughs> that's that's right. not how it works. Okay. Yeah. Um, also, <laughs> tell me, Emily, how does it work? More, more queer stuff. They, Freddie ends up like trapped with his own sperm donor. Like the weirdness of the dreams we talked about. The Escher impossible dream stairs feels very queer to me. Those always feel very queer. To the me. what? The the impossible dream stairs at the very end. The Escher stairs. The Escher stairs. Where like they're going. The dream. Where they actually like oh. Freddie goes back to being a fetus or whatever, um, <sighs> and then they become lesbians, right? Like the and moral that's of the story: that... lesbians survive Wait, for the first that's time. That's another ever. unconscious thing. That's another unconscious thing, right there. That the lesbians survive. Controlling, dominating, 
cishet men, violent, abusive cishet men are deep down blaming their mothers for everything mm-hmm. and really just want to go back to mummy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then- I mean, I really feel there's all this like unconscious stuff. Like, I don't think the director like fought this out, but I think like it tells me a lot about. Well, clearly, they were writing it on the fly. They didn't have a finished script. So, yeah. but the happy ending though is like, it, they kind of show the path to the path to wholeness and healthy relationships mm-hmm. is to get rid of this in your life. And uh, yeah. I need to stop alienating our use our but, listeners. But it is Wait, like, can somebody tell me why you stick your hands and turn a baby in the middle of the pushing? Okay, so here's the deal. Here's the deal. I have a whole uh, bunch of notes about labor, birth, and pregnancy. Please, because until you give us those notes, it's a mystery. It's so, supernatural. But like, I need to stick my hands in there and turn it around like a Rubik's Cube or it's not going to come out right. No, no, so the creepy evil half baby is like its own weirdo, I don't know. Um, the incompetent labor delivery doctor. So if a baby is breech then yes, you try and turn it around, which he says, right? So we have to turn it around. And then he immediately says, now push. That's not how it works. You don't push while you're trying to turn the baby around. Like you got to give it time to readjust. If you have to push immediately, then you're probably going to end up more towards a C-section than anything else because the biggest part of the baby is the head. And so the head needs to come out first so that the rest of it can just like slide out. Otherwise you got a baby like, partially stuck in there and the umbilical cord gets cut off by the baby's head because the baby's head is big baby's head is too big to come out then you're in major problems um so you don't deliver breach but a baby could be breech and then you would turn it around or do a c-section probably yeah no part from the sex to conception to the pregnancy to the to delivery there is no part that is correct the whole thing is wrong Mm mm-hmm yeah. And it is clearly the existence of abstinence only education and all kinds of other things. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just, it. Ugh. Well, and it's like this birth ugh. as rebirth thing, and like. Did it wrong. None gets <laughs> brought back to. Right? Like, everything is so weird. And then, like, the, you know, 24, 32, however many cells that exist in the, as the fetus are somehow dreaming when it's like doesn't even have what is generously considered a heartbeat right like oh but it has a soul that's being corrupted like you see the child like in the mm-hmm. weird eyes and look like get start looking more evil have evil tendencies be right? on the line like the only thing that makes sense on this whole thing is that children particularly young boys they're they're it's it's all their mother's fault mm-hmm. like and their mother needs to make better choices or they're going to turn out evil. All evil boys come from mothers who made bad choices, mothers that tried to be solely in control, mothers that were, that had their womanhood. I have big air quotes. I don't, you know, I keep forgetting this podcast. People can't see me like air quoting <laughs> Everything. violently. Um, like their mothers whose womanhood was destroyed and thus for thus and violated thus there is evil like it all has to do with mothers and then it is also their responsibility to fix it 
Yeah. So it, it, and it's just, and the whole thing is a question of who has control over this woman. I feel it, I feel like men are, I feel like men in this movie resent the fact that they can't be in total control. And the whole movie is like a testament as to why we need to be in control of bodies that have uteruses well and the like ways to this is part of my like do they think that all of those men could actually be the sperm donor because then there's this like the the journey through the uterus it to the uterus i think you're right is is as if freddie is now like implanting his own sperm in the uterus in the fetus that is like magically you know many weeks further along than it should be i expected it to be like all of a sudden she's pregnant and then she like has the baby at three months like bella like that's what it felt like was happening was like it's some magic baby and it's not and then he literally impersonated dan Mm -hmm. in the dream Mm -hmm. like he literally is becoming the father corrupting the the dna Mm -hmm. with his own yeah like that's what happens when you have a single woman yeah in control when it's there's this push towards vulnerability right like she is supposed that was sarcasm to, by the way yeah <laughs> she is she is supposed to be vulnerable as a pregnant person like her life it needs to be protected at all costs and and on, only insofar as the baby's life is at risk right like her life needs to be protected because of the baby and even she says that like i'm safe because freddie needs jacob um but the the way that vulnerability traces through the whole movie with that, with the nakedness in the dreams that she, like she can't even dream up some clothes, with the space of mental health. <laughs> she can't even dream up some clothes. I mean, I'm sorry, that was like she's I a dream master. <laughs> she's the one that survived all the dreams and she can't even like dream up some clothes. She can, she can dream up the end of like this nefarious supernatural being but she can't dream up a pair of underwear yeah (laughs) but also like it ties in with like the vulnerability of mental illness and the ways that this story in particular just like so stigmatizes mental illness because all of the sperm donor possibilities were there because they were they had some version of mental oh yeah this is Um, literally an argument for eugenics like this is a nazi theme yeah yep um and then like she doesn't feel in control in the dream hence the not being able to dream her clothes or whatever um and the swimsuits for yvonne when she's like in a swimsuit so it's swimsuits or nakedness both are really big vulnerability things um and then the two places where it's like a different type of vulnerability that's actually like a really cool courageous vulnerability is Mark after he like verbally lashes out and is like, no, this is ridiculous. Meh, meh, meh. Then he's like, oh shit, what did I do? Takes responsibility and apologizes, which like, because we only get like this glimpse, like I'm here for it. If it were a longer term thing and we could see a pattern and maybe he does this all the time. This is another conversation, but like in this situation, there's like a lot of vulnerability for him as a man, as a boy, as a man to actually like admit that he did something wrong and apologize for it. Um, 
And there's a vulnerability in discovery, right? In what Yvonne does to discover Amanda Kruger's body and to find it and to release it. Like that is scary, but there's also like a piece that comes from that vulnerability and stuff. The one thing, the one deep dive thing I had um, that hasn't been touched on yet is that there, um, when I was talking about when um, Alice was asking Mark about how he knows that suicide takes someone to dam- to hell and is a source of damnation. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, this is how. And he pulls out a book and it just says Christian mythology in gold letters. It doesn't have a author or anything. So I was mm-hmm. like, is this a real book? <laughs> so I was looking it up and it probably is not the same book, but there is a book. There's a few books by that title, but there is one that was published in 1970 um, mm-hmm. by George Every. So I have not looked at that, but I want, but uh and I think you're going to speak more about this, Emily, but just to be clear, this would be a good example of Christian mythology that has no scriptural foundation in talking mm-hmm. about uh, death by suicide leading to damnation. So it's kind of telling that they pull it out. He doesn't pull out a Bible. He pulls out yep. this book called Christian Mythology to talk about it. Yeah. So, Yeah, I was actually hoping that you knew where where that where that idea came from because it's most I have heard it most commonly in like connection to the Catholic Church and Catholic theology um, but it's not biblical um, we actually just talked about this where did we talk about this I don't remember which podcast it was on but we were talking about um, the difference of between Judas and Peter was that with you Pace or was that with Kay that was with me. Okay, yeah. Was, we've recorded so many episodes lately. This was in our, the, but this was in our um, Patreon yeah, episode so on Freddy's Nightmares. Our Bootube, our Patreon supporters will potentially remember this um, if they've already watched the episode. Um, but the the difference between Judas and Peter in the biblical accounts of the crucifixion are. Um, like it's not, I don't think it's, I don't think Judith's, Judas's death is portrayed in every one of them, but, um, Peter, right. Both Peter and Judas somehow betray Jesus. And then Peter, particularly in the gospel of John, like apologizes and spends the rest of his life trying to make it up, make up for it. Um, and Judas can't handle the consequence can't handle what he's done and so that is how he dies by suicide um but the like difference between how they are treated in christianity and the ways that peter is still so glorified and judas is so despised like nobody's naming their kid judas still today even though like judas was doing his best yeah he got stuff wrong but like he's not the evil, terrible, awful that everybody thinks he is. Um, so all of that to say, we at the on the Horror Nerds at Church podcast firmly believe that suicide does not condemn people to hell. That's not how it works. That's not biblical. That's not faithful. That's a really cruel thing to say about people. And I'm pretty positive in my ability to speak for both Pace and I in that. Yep. Yeah. And to answer your question, I do know 
have a general sense of where some of this harmful theological approach to um, suicide comes from. Uh, it there were in the early days of Christianity there was um, there were several Christian sects sects s e c t s and uh, so Christianity isn't has never been a monolithic religion um, mm-hmm. as we kind of think of it. Um, it especially wasn't in the early days. And the Donatists and several other groups uh, of Christian sects would um, try to force martyrdom by mm-hmm. like going going into purposefully dangerous situations um, or try, starting fights, mm-hmm. hoping that they would be martyred as a result. Yeah. Um, which would which they saw as a special sign from God. So, in the early Christians to kind of put a stop to that, started to make bans on suicide, and then Augustine turned it kind of theolo- theologized it into it becoming a sin by his interpretation of the commandment "Thou shalt not kill" mm. uh, as kind of a sign against suicide um, in his City of God. Uh, book and that's kind of where a lot of the modern day uh, understandings of suicide being this particularly particularly grave sin and one that leads directly to damnation is kind of weaves its way and sources its way back to yeah. Augustine on City of God. So which that's like kind of the start of it, yeah. Which is which is tough because in general, like the idea of discouraging people from dying by suicide, like yeah that's that's not bad like discouraging extra deaths um but there are better ways to do that chief among them um the is like giving people money and healthcare and access to mental health services and making it so that we ban things like conversion therapy and bullying and like actually affirm people's identities and dismantle systems of repression like racism and white supremacy like all of those are suicide prevention but instead we've taken it and individualized it into a blame the victim kind of situation and and that's part of why i talked about the space of like discovering amanda's body in the vulnerability section because i do think it's courageous it's always courageous when people are able to talk about the death of someone by suicide openly because it helps to destigmatize it helps people to be less alone and it helps people to know that there are other people who are dealing with similar things also it is ridiculous that they decided she died by hanging without a body that like it literally does not make sense you cannot say somebody died in a certain way when you have no evidence also it is very obvious which wall needs to be broken down to find her and I'm pretty sure it is, in fact, the wall where she was stuck for like a hundred, for like a weekend with a hundred people gang raping her. Like, mm-hmm. it's not that hard to find that out. Well, I mean, I think it adds to the mystery <laughs> of womanhood and uteruses <laughs> and, you know, like, like if she's the essence of all purity and like, then she can't kill herself. Because of the other thing about, like, oh, that's going to send you to hell. So they don't have a body. She just ascends or disappears or, I don't know, it's a mystery. And we don't even care about solving it <laughs> as, any more than we do about birth. 
or conception or strange showers or like <laughs> fetuses that suddenly grow like months and months in a matter of days like who knows <laughs> it's just a, know, it's it's like, like that's mystery a, voice for halloween who knows I'm very influenced. I think, I, you know, I just realized, I think it's because of the Enneagram video by Abby Howe on YouTube. <laughs> but, like, things that everybody's afraid of. It's, like, in my head still. Um, but, like, yeah, it's just, you can feel it over and over. Even it, 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 anywhere there's a plot hole, there's mystery of womanhood. Like, anywhere. Yeah. Well, and womanhood, again, I'm, like, using very violent quotes. <laughs> air quotes right now violently stabbing at the air um but like yeah it's everywhere you see a plot hole it is related yeah and i think and it's not that they it's i don't think it's that they wanted to i'm sorry go go ahead i didn't mean to interrupt you no keep going i don't think that they didn't i don't think that they didn't see the plot hole sometimes i think they didn't care Mm. i think i think they i think that the whole plot hole is is intentional like it's not a plot hole to you if you think it's a big mysterious yeah it's just part thing. of the mystery of it's just yeah. part like of the like mystery that. i mean keep in mind they did write this script was not finished while they were filming so, so they're kind of writing on the they, yeah so i feel like so i feel like borrowing from these pop cultural tropes of mysteries around pregnancy and stuff is an easy way out of a plot you don't really know how to fix. Yeah. Mm. I, th- so I agree with you. I think also there's, right, and Susanna, you have named this a few different times, but like the the way that misogyny is at play in the making of the movie. And this is, I think from what Pace has said in the past, this is like when Nightmare on Elm Street is like popular and Freddie is becoming a like, pop icon kind of thing Mm -hmm. um and so then we also get like there's an increase in i i think and it and maybe it's just that i noticed it more it seemed like there was an increase in the number of times freddie used the word bitch and the amount of derogatory language from freddie towards women in particular like he's always been a misogynist but it it felt in this movie like it was more than before and maybe that's just I was like paying better attention to it but that like I personally don't use that word I don't like to use that word I don't like when people necessarily use that word around me um Stephanie our friend of the podcast who was with us for our Damperina boo tube um wrote a great article in her zine about the use of the word bitch in particular because it is simultaneously used derogatorily and people are claiming to reclaim it and that actually is something that doesn't happen with like most other words like there is a little bit to a certain extent to which queer is still used derogatorily by some but for the most part like when people use the word queer they either use it positively or they use it derogatorily whereas like a lot of people use the word bitch both as a like I'm gonna reclaim it and be like this bad bitch but then also use it harmfully to as a derogatory thing towards others which really just means that 
it's not reclaiming it. Like if you're going to reclaim it, then you can only, then you have to use it positively. You can't keep using it with the harmful misogyny built into it. It's never, I I appreciate that. That helps a lot with the way that I think of it. I see your point. Because like, even when you're saying I'm a bad bitch, blah, 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 it's not necessarily reclaiming it. You're saying I found this positive aspect of me being negative. There's still like I'm in control or I'm making the money or I like, there's a positive aspect of the fact that I am as currently established a bitch. Like it, it, I feel that's not reclaiming. (laughs) Yeah. I feel you. That's not reclaiming. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a very different thing than the way I feel when I call myself queer. But the reasoning for that, like now I'm thinking about like the F slayer use and Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, I feel like that same argument can be made against the F-slayer use, yet it is still very, it is still a term that is, that a lot of pockets of queer folk, particularly queer men, but not exclusively, use as a very liberative kind of word. Mm-hmm. And I would be hesitant. And so I, I can't speak to the use of the word bitch, but I can speak to the use of the F-slayer, whereas I feel like there is, that I, I guess I'm I'm I I it's not it's not an equal correlation so I can't mm-hmm. claim uh, and I haven't read Stephanie Taylor's article but I'm just really um thinking about that and kind of uh yeah well and wondering if that can be pushed against in a way but yeah. I don't know and I think I think there is room for particularities right like it's not that I think if I knew someone who only ever used bitch as a positive, as like, I'm competent, I'm assertive, I know what I'm doing, I'm powerful. Like, if that was the only way that somebody used the word, I think I would have a different approach to it. Um, But when it is used that way and also derogatorily by the same people or just derogatorily, um, then it doesn't have that same power of reclamation to me. And I think the F slur is a similar thing, right? Like it, de- it depends. And I obviously am not the <laughs> authority on that word um, and definitely defer to other people. But the, I think the idea for me is, if you're using it in a reclamation kind of way, in a communal kind of way, yes. But if you're using it that way and also using it to de- derogatorily name people with it, then no. And I don't know that I see it being used both of those ways by the same people. So I think like there is more space to reclaim it, potentially. Yeah, no, I see your point. Like they're not, Um, again, it's like, they're not refuting the negative stuff Mm -hmm. they're saying and also here's positive stuff but there's not refuting the negative stuff when we reclaimed queer we refuted the negative bullshit i don't don't agree with that either i I feel like part of the i think part of queer is an embracing of the negative of it and saying yeah we are weird and yeah we are and and that's not bad and gross and that's and that's, that's what your... I mean by refuting though. Like I think we're on the same page. We're just using different okay. language. Like okay. like I I think we're on the same page. Like 
yeah, I'm weird. That's a good thing. Like I'm, I'm refuting it's, I'm refuting it's, um, moral assignment, assignment, Mm -hmm. the value assignment. Yeah. Like I, I, there's no refuting that there's no like, Hey, is she a bitch? Because she's a, she's going out there and she's getting that bread or is, is she a, even though she's dominating and assertive at the office, or are you saying she's a bitch, she's, she knows what she wants, she's getting it, she's providing for her family, and also the fact that you think she's a dominating and aggressive at work is because of misogyny and you need to unwire that shit. Like, th- we don't do that when we say bitch. We only do the first one. Hmm. So it's not, I, I see your point. We're still not really refuting the value of the negative part that comes with that word. Mm-hmm. Oh, similarly, I have a horror story for you. Pace, did I ever tell you about the time that I talked to Howard Stern? No. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's related oh to gosh. this. this it's is totally related. This is a really good one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, like, Howard Stern, I think it, I think it was when Martha Stewart went to jail. Anyway, like, she had, like, controlling interest in Sirius, I think. I might be remembering this wrong. But for some reason, Alexis Stewart was in charge of where he worked, at, I think, at Sirius Radio or was a, or was also a commentator next door. I, I can't remember. But, like, he had to go by her. And he met her. And he was on another show. And he was talking about the meeting of Alexis Stewart. And he said, yeah, like... I said hello to her and how was she doing? And I was really friendly. And she was like standoffish and just kind of like said what she needed to say, barely anything, and then kind of like got out of there really quickly. I mean, I kind of thought she was a cunt. And then somebody picked up that audio and Mm -hmm. it was sort of viral about that. And so what would happen is that when National Now did not want to comment on something they would just shut down their lines and not answer the phone which is not a bad thing that's what you're supposed to do <laughs> that is a legitimate pr thing sometimes mm-hmm. but reporters will still want a quote-unquote feminist opinion so then they go down the list of all the states and just start calling chapters right and at this point i was president of now new jersey so i get a call and they're like do i want to comment on this you know, has, and their take was, and his take was, and this is what he said to me, was that people are reclaiming the word cunt. It doesn't mean the what, what it used to mean. And he wanted to have a debate with me about whether or not the word cunt had been reclaimed. And I wouldn't have it with him. Mm-hmm. I said, no, that's not the question here. The question here is if a man would have gone down that hallway and been aloof and been busy and had other stuff to do and didn't stay to chit chat with you, would you have called him a cunt? Would you have called him an asshole? Or would you have said, oh, wow, he's really focused on his job. He's a man of few words. That's the misogyny. It has, it's, like, that's the real question here. Did he air that interview? Hell no, he did not air that interview. Nuh-uh. But it's a it's a similar thing about how we... So I guess that's my real horror, real life horror story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it is, like, that is a really good example of there are spaces and ways to reclaim words, and he specifically used it in a derogatory way, and then was like, but it's fine because we're reclaiming. And that's where the miss 
the miscommunication I think happens around reclaiming is not the same as permission to be harmful Mm -hmm. yep yeah 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 and I don't want to like like I don't want to contribute to the problem by not recognizing the fact that it is true that conception and birth can be horror Mm -hmm. like terrible horrible things Mm -hmm. um there are such things as rape. There are such things as like the fear of, am I, am I not pregnant? There are such things as doctors saying, oh, this is how some women are. Right? I mean, yeah, they're just emotional outbursts, like hysterical mm-hmm. woman. Like there's a whole lot of that in your doctor's appointments. There's like people who's like, I mean, the whole perineum is like the vagina is split in all different kinds of places and like it can be bloody and horrible and terrifying. And especially like the the dynamics for especially black women who are Mm -hmm. pregnant and and hopefully if they want to give birth, but like the mortality rates for them are even higher. And all of that is currently increasing with the repeal of Roe v. Wade. And their pain is ignored, mm-hmm. and it's considered par for the course. It, yeah, and there is definitely it is horror now. It is horror now that there are plenty of men who are circling their partners like like a moth to a flame when it comes to pregnancy or children, and use those things as a way to control mm-hmm. their partner's life. Yeah. Like, that's a thing that happens. I mean, like, every we're at a place now where it's totally legal to, like, take a woman to court every single time she has a miscarriage. Mm-hmm. Did she do it on purpose? Or did her body do it? I don't know. And with this whole, like, mystery voodoo weird stuff, like, people don't believe that a woman didn't contribute to it, didn't make it happen, you know? And so, I mean, like, I'm not gonna lie. Like, it, I wouldn't want to, like, do the disservice of ignoring that it is horror but there are ways that you can show the horror of of conception and birth without this that are quite frankly more horror yeah than this yeah and i think i will say um our podcast is a decidedly pro-choice podcast um and pro access to abortion which our listeners should know from the episodes that we released this summer that had a pre-roll and maybe if Pace still has that pre-roll, we can include it. Nope. Just kidding. Um, okay. Um, then forget that part. But as our listeners know from our summer episodes, the pre-roll that we had, right? We are a, a podcast that firmly believes in access free and accessible abortion. Um, and there's, right, we're releasing this right before elections and all of that stuff. And people always say, like, the answer is to go vote. And it's not. Um, it is one of the answers. It is a small step. And definitely you should vote if you can. But give to your local abortion funds. Organize. More importantly, figure out how to get involved and support those who have been organizing for this for years. Black women in particular have been doing this work for years. Figure out how to support them. That is how we fight this. Yeah. Don't put them in a situation where they're all by themselves Mm -hmm. with 13 interns. (laughs) 
Like that's yeah. what happens when you're like, oh, I'm gonna when we take things in our own hands and don't empower the people who have who have been doing this work and what they need. Mm-hmm. Like uh, they need they need money. Mm-hmm. Like they need money and they need bodies that can they can train. Yeah. Go volunteer. Be an abortion escort. There are plenty of things mm-hmm. that you can do. Get trained first. Get trained first. Yes. All <laughs> of these yes. require training. I don't think they let anybody be an abortion escort without training, but no, you are not safe. Like my my mentor was eight gave birth, I think at eight months. She gave birth like three to five weeks early. I can't remember. It was like almost it was like around a whole month early because she was escorting. And you'd think that the extremely pregnant lady would be the safest person. Nope. They kicked her right in the stomach. Yeah. So like and she had been doing clinic escorting for years. And y'all have a role. Can I leave you with something? Yeah. My favorite on an up note, like not a horror story, but a happy one. My favorite story, actually, uh, church story comes from there, uh, from her. She would, this is back in the eighties when she was doing clinic escorting and she had moles. Okay. And this is before she became president of New Jersey. Her name's Elizabeth Volk. She's amazing. They had moles in the anti-abortion camps. And you, they would be in there and pretend to be the anti, like one of the peoples. And then those, then they would find out what clinic they were going to go protest that day and then run and call the pro-choice people and let them know so that they could get there sooner so that they could escort the women. Mm -hmm. Because if they didn't get there beforehand, there'd be no way to divvy out, you know, parting of the Red Sea so that the, so that the women could get into the clinic. So this was their main goal. And there was one day where I can't remember what the problem was, but like the, the, the pro-choice clinic ex- escort people were not going to be able to make it before the antis got there. Mm. And so Liz was like, stall, stall. And he had, I think he had been part of an evangelical movement in the past. He prayed for 45 minutes. <laughs> he prayed for 45 he just kept going on and on and, and on to, and like, on and pray on for god's forgiveness for that prayer but like there yeah prayer as protest never never was so literal but like there are ways that people who have been in church and trained by church and god can use you in ways you have no idea god can use you at that mm-hmm. morning super early in the morning at like 5 a.m or something he just kept praying because what good Christian interrupts somebody's prayer. Um, so yeah. And stalled long enough for them to get there first. Yeah. Again, don't go undercover without being trained, but yeah, yeah there are a lot of really creative and powerful ways to resist what is happening. Thanks for having me on here yeah. today. It was You're great. Welcome. Thanks for being on. Yeah. Thank you for being on here. Now is our time to rate the film. Out of 10 nightmares, how do you rate the to me? child? Yeah. I mean, we're all rated go- in nightmares? We're all going to. It's it's out of 10 nightmares because it's Nightmare on Elm Street. Other ones have been like, I don't know what. We did 10 fangs for vampires. You know. I don't understand the scale. Like, exactly. I'm, I'm like, in terms of like, and like how many how many nightmares as a good nightmare or how many nightmares of, oh my God, I never want to see another one. This was awful. I mean, you like, can ten, choose. 10 is, yeah, you can choose. Typically 10 is best. 10 is good. Zero. A good movie? Is, 
yes. But okay. you can, but you make, can choose. You, can interpret it you just have to tell us which. Unless it's five, then you don't. Okay, I would call this um, a good movie. Like in terms of like a good horror. No, like let me let me just go back here. Okay, my head. Okay, there are good things that are horrifying. Kubrick, Town, stuff like that. Okay, yeah, this is like this is two placenta covered nightmares. That's who I am. I'm the placenta that they never bothered to take out. Um, that's, <laughs> that's who I am. I rewind to the beginning. And the placenta never bothered to take out and feed to Gwyneth so that she can have her weird medicine, whatever. Who would, like, it would, what would have been horror before? What is Paltrow? Oh, she okay. eats placentas. Just checking, but it like, was that. So I was like, placenta. it's not in the movies, right? Okay. One would think, like, I can imagine in this movie taking out a placenta and putting it in a blender and making a placenta smoothie would be horror, but it's just like par for the course these days. Um, But yeah, uh, so I'd give it two placenta-covered nightmares because it was that bad. Okay. There's better horror. Also, Jordan Peele is like, just raised the bar for horror, I think, in a lot of ways. It's true. I have to have you on for a debate about my disdain for people who claim that elevated horror that horror like Jordan Peele elevates the genre that I think is inherently queer and awesome by itself. That doesn't need to be elevated, but that's another podcast. I will rate this five out of 10 nightmares because it is, I would say that this one, uh, the nightmare, the nightmare deaths are some of the coolest in the franchise, Mm -hmm. but the plot is really shitty as we've discussed. So like it's, so I really love like the Escher dreamscape. Mm -hmm. I love the, I love the um, weird body horror my, motorcycle transformation in the beginning. I lo- like the, the the animated death of Mark. Uh, it's really cool. Like, there's just some really cool stuff in here that I love, but just the plot makes it kind of shitty. So I'll leave it there. I will give it a three uh, for similar reasons to both of you. Um, the, the plot and the anti-choice, anti-abortion propaganda is crappy. But I do really love some of the artistic stuff, um, especially the stuff connected to Mark and how that all was shot and portrayed. I just really love in my own like little artistry world. Um, and favorite kill. <laughs> you, we have to have you watch Aha Take on Me because that will like yeah. they deserve your accolades. They deserve your accolades. Okay. We'll watch it. Remind me. Okay. Favorite kill. Me. Everybody. Yeah, everybody. You don't have to start if you don't want to. You need time to think about it. Favorite kill. Y'all go first. I'll think about it while y'all go. Okay. I, in the movie as it stands, my favorite kill is the weird death of Freddy in this, Mm -hmm. where he kind of is like pulled apart, then turned back into a weird infant thing, and then whatever. In the original, I really, as a kid, I was fascinated by the death of Greta and that like watching the VHS uncut version where she was like being fed her own like that's just such a horrifying grotesque um death and it has always stuck with me so that would kind of be yeah do not like that well. one. um my favorite death is the death of Dan in the car and like Freddie possessing the car um I just really liked Freddie possessing the car 
Um, and I like Mark and his art too much to make that my favorite death because I loved that like he turned into his own superhero and all of that. But um, yeah, Freddie possessing the car was my favorite. Okay, I'm going to, I guess, queer Amanda Kruger and go with Amanda Kruger. I think that the hanging without a body is great. Like that's like, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna be like the essence of pure womanhood or whatever, like way to evade it all. Like she she was like, I can't I'm not gonna kill myself and then like I'm gonna get shit for killing myself and I'm a bad Christian because I killed myself. I'm also not gonna I'm also not gonna stick around for this mess. So I'm just gonna disappear and be in limbo. I'm gonna like I'm not going to tell anybody shit about what I'm doing. Nobody's going to know shit. It's going to be all mystical. I'm going to use this weird mystical uterus of womanhood to my own benefit and get the fuck out of this joint. Like, I'm I'm down for Amanda Kruger right now. Total, like, the best literal ghosting of a death. Fantastic. Nice. Wow. Um, also, for our dear listeners, because we are in the not, like, because... Nightmare on Elm Street is not a like jump scare kind of movie. We're like doing pretty, I'm doing pretty well. I haven't been ju- super jumpy. I only had like half a jump this time. So feeling pretty proud of myself. Don't worry. I jumped at like the turn of a doorknob in the ring when I watched the ring multiple times. To- I've watched it more than once and every time I jumped at the doorknob turn. So I am confident that we will eventually hit jump scare territory and my numbers will increase yep. dramatically. I think we have a few this season, even. Oh, okay. Um, there aren't nightmare films, but a few of the other ones. Yeah. Including maybe the one that comes out next week. So. Ooh. <laughs> like, I gotta say, like, it was like, ugh, I'm so over this most of the time. But, like, the death of Greta was, um, like, really traumatic. If you've ever had any kind of disordered eating, yeah. do not watch this. Just don't. It's it was hard for me that particular scene. I, I having I am a survivor of disordered eating and still struggle with it. And that is one of the reasons it stuck with me, but I feel like I just I just use I, horror works differently in my brain than it does for other folk, I think, because some seeing some of these things displayed on screen in a grotesque over the top way is a way that I can deal with trauma in a way um, and process through it so i i guess to each do do with this do with that death in a way that fits the way you are able to mm-hmm. deal with these things as they are depicted on screen like i couldn't watch a, i couldn't watch a movie about somebody with a eating disorder where with disorder eating that shows it realistically that would like wreck me and harm me a lot but this doesn't because of the way that it's parodied and mm. uh, camped out and turned into a way to kind of deal with it in a very fiction purposefully fictionalized way so that reminds me of well, i'm looking sorry go ahead i was just gonna say that reminds me of the way that Susanna was talking about like handmaid's tale that it is like very realistic and so it's just like this is just real life Versus horror that is like over the top grotesque, which is harder, and like that flipping. Well, I'm gonna take what I've learned from Pace in this episode, and I'm gonna apply it to all the other horror that Emily makes me watch for this podcast. So, like, I'm gonna, I am, I'm gonna apply it. Like, I think what Pace gave me was a quite a gift in this episode, where 
they were like, okay, like here are the thing, like the two things that we were both talking about that went together, you know, about how things get, like we're comfortable in the queer and to, to the cishets, it's horror. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And for me, like, and my accompanying thing of like, is this, this is how they see us. Like Pace is right. It's horror. Like, (laughs) like who's to say that it's not, who's to say that, that Alice and, and what's her name? Yvonne? Mm -hmm. Yvonne? Alice and Yvonne aren't thrilled to death that it all happened so they can end up together with a baby. (laughs) Like, like who's to say, is this like, is this, so now I'm going to, now I'm going to wonder in every horror, this is what I'm going to use in my brain to get through it. I'm going to say, what is the actual queer, fun, wonderful story that Sisset looked at and, was like, and decided on this film? Yep. <laughs> and I, like I think that. that's going to get me through. Yeah. I think that's going to get me through. Nice. Maybe pa- not with the blender, but would, like, yeah. That'd be the new bracelet. What would Pace do? How would Pace <laughs> interpret this horror film? <laughs> How would what would Pace's narrative about this actually be? That I I think that's very healing for me. What would Pace narrate? W W P N. I was trying to get it down to four words. <laughs> Love, <that. laughs> Love it. Well, friends, mm-hmm. um, this is a really long episode. We'll see how much I have time to edit. We'll see how much editing I have time to do before Thursday when this is supposed to come out. Yeah. My guess is not much. So. So thanks for, so, so I'm just going to say thank, uh, all of you out there can say thank you to us and you're welcome for <laughs> two and a half hours of awesomeness. Cause that's what this is. Um, so you're welcome. Yeah. Uh, I am having trouble imagining you having less than two and a half hours. Isn't it always two and a half hours when I'm on? Is this my fault? This is my fault, fault, isn't it? No, no. Fault? We can go along with this Emily and Pace and in a way that I'm not with my previous co-host, uh, we often had two two and a half hour long episodes Pace that I used to, used to try to. Pace and I have a specialty of going long. Also, when there's three Absolutely. people, it's always going to be longer. Yeah, it is yep. for all the podcasts. Um, but usually, we're not on a time crunch, yeah. so I'm going to have to like go yeah. real fast. Um, um, guys, yeah, that's fun. Where can yeah. people find you? Oh, my whole na- my I'm on Twitter, sort of. I'm mostly on Facebook, but yeah, like, go. You can find me at Diaconia that face um, Facebook page because that's where things will evolve from. Mm-hmm. And um, and I guess on Twitter, my whole name is S U Z A N N H Porter. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you again for joining us. This is always an amazing time. Mm-hmm. This is why you and Ben are tied as our most frequent return guests because y'all are both awesome <laughs> y'all can't see um, but i'm dancing <laughs> she is it's an adorable dance it's <laughs> sunshine 2007 <laughs> is our next movie it comes out uh, they'll, they'll be coming out next week we'll have special guest brandon Graffius with us who is a professor of theology mm-hmm. um but also writes uh theology has published a book about theology and horror. So this could be a really fun conversation. We could talk about Danny Boyle's Sunshine film, which is one of my favorite top five horror films of all time. Mm. So I'm super excited to cover this one. Um, Me too. So join us next week. And that is it for our show. Our theme music was by Matt Warfield May. Horror Nerds at Church releases every Thursday. Please comment, rate, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, 
Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Support us on Patreon and get access to exclusive movie commentary episodes, BooTube episodes, and more bonus content by going to patreon.com slash horrornerdsatchurch. It's only $5 to sign up, cheaper than forced birth or adoption. Follow us on <laughs> follow us on social media, Facebook and Instagram at Horror Nerds at Church, and Twitter at H-N-A-C-P-O-D for all the latest updates about upcoming films, news, and other announcements. Until next time, please study your science and biology. Right. And if you are pregnant with a demon baby, you can get an abortion. It's abortion okay. is... It's okay. You don't even need that reason yeah. to get an abortion. You can get abortion for a reason you want. Abortion is good and holy. Baby, especially if a You don't have to go through this yeah. to make a family with your lesbian lover swimmer girl. Right. <laughs> like, you don't, don't have to be so dramatic, Sapphic. You don't have to be so dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Oh. Oh. Oh, my God.